This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Coach Hog here, by golly, in the uh, manly Warthog Man Cave. Mighty Woods of North Central Florida on a nippy morning, by golly. And uh, we're in the Mellon Law Studio, of course. Mellon Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Fighting Gators. And they did fight this weekend quite proudly. And, of course, we're protected 24-7, 365 uh, by, of course, crime uh, prevention. And sponsored by On-Spot Cleaners and a bunch of other great people. be scrolling by your screen. And people donating to us. We really appreciate that. And every once in a while, you'll get a note back from me recognizing your support of the show. Really appreciate it. Of course, I'm having a cup of calibercoffeecompany.com here, which will get you faith, family, uh, firearms, and coffee. And if you use code WARD15, you'll get 15% off when you buy Caliber Coffee. Well, well, well. Let's start out on a positive note here. It was an exciting game. And I suppose even if the Gators had lost, it still would have been a very exciting game with a lot of exciting plays and good performances. It looked as if maybe, but you always have to keep your fingers crossed, that perhaps the Gators have got it together right now. But in two weeks, what are they going to do? They're going to run up against a team that for darn sure has it together, and that's the Georgia Bulldogs. You know, They've got nothing to lose except to lose, of course. They should play like they did against South Carolina, and maybe something will happen. I mean, you know, the Bulldogs are the Bulldogs. They put their pants on one leg at a time, too. So you have to keep that in mind. Uh, Locally, the team I'm enamored with, and everybody around here is, and I did a show on them with um, uh, Mr. Surrency, who uh, whole family – is uh, so loyal and so well-known in Hawthorne, that the Hornets from Hawthorne, undefeated, that is a very well-coached team. And what has happened is the word has gotten out that the standards are high, the coaching is good, and you have a chance to really be part of something you're proud of. And it's now being streamed by Hawthorne on Facebook quite professionally. And it's going to get better. I found myself watching them on a Friday night. It really is Friday night lights. Kind of high school football, the way it's supposed to be. In a rural community, on a field taken care of by the community members, the sponsors, community members, supplementing the needs of the team that the Elantra County School Board can't address, and picking up the slack and making it a very strong place for the kids to get the best examples to grow up by. What more could you hope for? So check them out. 
on a Friday night <clears throat> on Facebook. I'll try to get the name of the new process they have by which they're streaming the show, and um, you'll you'll enjoy it. Particularly if you enjoy just the honest to God flavor of pure high school athletics conducted in a very, very well, um, well-managed and well-coached way. So right now they're undefeated, and they've been, they, I, I suspect they will continue to be undefeated. Um, Cornelius Ingram is their coach, and he's been very good for that community. He was a wonderful multi-sport player here at the University of Florida and was so at Hawthorne and has got the kids believing. And he's kind of, although he doesn't have the, of course, nobody does, the pizzazz of, you know, who, primetime, Dion. But he's he puts me in the mind of Dion. And that he's got these young men really caring about something and caring about doing it the best they can do. And you can't say anything more than that. That is really where it's at. Now, Florida right now is... Five and two. They got to take on Georgia and they got to take on LSU. Arkansas, they got to take on. So things aren't over. I don't know what it's going to wind up. We'll know in the next few games really what we're made of. Hopefully, we've got really high skilled players at a lot of positions. It's always something you should be keeping in mind about how well the pit is doing, the offensive and defensive lines. That's where it is really hammered out. So we'll watch that and see how that goes. Those are the battles that change the games. Now, I want to bring this to your attention. Women's basketball. We know South Carolina. We know LSU. But Iowa women's basketball had a record attendance Sunday. 94 to 72 exhibition win against the DePaul Blue Demons was named crossover at Connick, took place at the Hawkeyes football stadium. The increased capacity helped Iowa set the women's college basketball attendance record. Now, are you ready for how many attended? 55,646. Nearly a doubling the previous record of 29,619. That was set at the 2002 Women's Final Four. Now, the game's proceeds benefited the University of Iowa Steed Family Children's Hospital. Now, the Hawkeyes Carver Hawkeye Arena has a capacity of only 15,500, while the football stadium can hold 69,000 250 fans. So 
Lisa Bluter, Blunder, Bluter, B-L-U-D-E-R, set out deliberately to break the attendance record. It was her personal goal. She said, we start the season with every single game sold out in Carver Hawkeye Arena. We start the season with about 50,000 people this way. Join us in Connect for the crossover. We start this season without 40% of our starting lineup. But we also start this season with the nation's best player in Caitlin Clark. So there you go. It was a real event and a tremendous statement about women's basketball. I'm all for them. I hope we can put our shoulder to the women's basketball at Florida and get a good attendance because we've got good teams coming in. We've got a good coach. But you know how it is. We've also got a something called NIL. We've got something called the collective. And I got to tell you that LSU's got a lot of money. South Carolina's got a lot of money. And we'll see. So that's a big one for us to keep our minds on the play of the women in basketball. Coming up soon, sooner than you think. If you were watching any of the pro football, I can imagine uh, some people tuning into Coach Hogg's locker room don't. You saw another scary instance with another Buffalo Bill on the field. Damian Harris, he got a neck injury. You know, the pros and the college sports are trying to do everything they can to protect the head and neck. And I got to tell you, you know, I'm old enough to have friends who played the game. And some of my buddies, we talk about dementia. That they have dementia now. They had a lot of head injuries. It's not an uncommon story. If I told you the names of the former Gators that are now in their upper 70s, which I won't, who are suffering from issues from just the head, I'm not going to get into the other parts of the body. You can see that, yes, they accept the challenge, they accept the danger, they accept the high and the rush, but you also got to be ready to deal with the possible problems that can ensue from this type of sport. Now, Harris was injured in the second quarter. Uh, he was tackled by the Giants linebacker uh, on a one-yard run. He lay on the field for quite a while. And an ambulance came out, all the drama, all the hush. He was able to move his arms. He gave a thumbs up as he was loaded into the ambulance. And, of course, DeMar Hamlin uh, was looking up. He's now the backup safety. And uh, you recall he suffered cardiac arrest when they were in the game against the Cincinnati Bengals last year. So there you are. Um, we'll see how this sport handles this as these guys um, hit harder than ever, run faster than ever, are stronger than ever, and um, make more money than ever. 
But also, you got to watch it. Sports Illustrated. <clears throat> but everybody else saw this too besides Sports Illustrated. The no call on the last play of the Giants-Bills game last night. Was it defensive pass interference? And that is the question that is rocketing around the NFL world today after the Bills survived. And the Bills are a good team. Don't don't, don't get anybody wrong. Very good team. Very well coached, very good quarterback. But the Giants, you know, these teams on a given day are very close. Any of the NFL teams. Because we saw some upsets yesterday. Um, What about the referee? It's always a question. And these things are going on in such high-speed fashion. And guarding, if you're a defensive back, guarding these wideouts, boy, you got your hands full. These wideouts now are, I don't know what you call them, the combination basketball player, ballet dancer, and track star. All rolled up into one. I'm serious about that. In fact, some of them in the offseason train with ballet companies. They can pirouette. They can do the splits. They can leap. They can slam dunk. They're amazing. Try to stop them. You know, really try to stop them. We've got a great one on the Gators right now. A couple of great ones, really. New York down 14 to 9 on the one yard line. Taylor fires a pass to tight end Darren Waller. He leapt in an effort to secure the ball. Teron Johnson draping all over him. The game would end after Taylor's pass fell incomplete. But replays of Waller's last gasp effort appeared to show Johnson grabbing his jersey. Let me tell you, they grab jerseys all the time. It's just one of those calculated risks. Maybe that's the only way they can really slow these guys down. And maybe he grabbed his arm. But you can you can probably find this almost every play. But it was a controversial moment. And the shots of the apparent no call sent the fans and all these guys into an uproar. Of course, they ran out to social media. And that seems to be the place now where you take pot shots at the coaches and the players and the refs and everything. So this possibly cost the Giants the game. What can you say? These people are so fast and so athletic. You just about can't. There's an ad for a black tie blue jeans. That's come and gone. Probably need to get that off. We don't want anybody going down there to the like tie blue jeans when it's over. I promised myself I wouldn't talk about this. I wouldn't look. I even joked on Facebook. My wife got up and left the room momentarily during a game with Kansas City. You know where I'm going with this. And I joked, are you sure you want to leave and you'll miss Taylor Swift? Not the game. You'll miss Taylor Swift. 
I don't know. Why comment on it? Except Taylor Smith just made a hundred million off of a movie made of things she's already performed, I think. I didn't watch it. Taylor Swift doesn't do anything for me. She doesn't float my boat. Carrie Underwood, that's different. But Taylor, Taylor Swift, I'm not. But for some reason, Travis Kelsey. I guess they see something in each other. Travis Kelsey, as you know, now they're being followed, paparazzi-type following. Everywhere they go together, and she's he's seen, uh-oh, uh-oh, he's seen leaving Taylor Swift's, whoa, New York City apartment before attending the Jets and Eagles game. Now, his brother is the center for the Eagles, and they lost. So you can't blame that on Taylor Swift. But he was photographed leaving Taylor Swift's apartment solo on Sunday, okay, en route, route to the MetLife Stadium. He was decked out in a green tracksuit, white Nike sneakers, black shades, backward baseball cap, hopped in a black SUV, outside, quote-unquote, the songstress luxury pad. There you go. There you go. Swift did not attend the Eagles game. Even though she's from Pennsylvania and claims to be a massive Eagles fan. There you go. Now, the language that's being used to describe the courtship, if you want to call it, is funny. The hunky athlete. That's, that describes Kelsey. Huh? And supposedly Swift and Kelsey were seen kissing at the Saturday Night Live after party. And they've been seen holding hands. There you go. There you go. What can I say? Some people think it's perfect because it's married the teeny bopper society. Whoops, did I misspeak? To the jock world. Whom does that benefit? Well, all the people making money off each one. Like Prime. You'll be able to sell all sorts of stuff. Linking these two hugely overpriced, in my humble opinion, activities that we as a society are willing to pay ridiculous monies for, in my humble opinion. Tennis. Let me report on tennis. 
and the transgender inclusion policy. Okay. The United States Tennis Association has an official policy. Are you ready? Drum roll. Those who transition from female to male, I got to think about that, how that works. Well, those who transition from female to male are eligible to compete in the male category without restriction. Those who transition, you could explain that to me in the chat. I, I'm, I, don't, I don't know what that means. But anyway, those who transition from male to female are eligible to compete in the female category, but only under certain conditions. You ready? You might want to write this down in case you're thinking about doing this. The athlete has declared that her gender identity is female. The declaration cannot be changed for sporting purposes for a minimum of four years. Hope you jotted that down. Hormonal therapy appropriate for the assigned sex has been administered in a verifiable manner and for a sufficient length, let's see what else it says here, of time to minimize, minimize gender-related advantages in sport competitions. In the event of non-compliance, the athlete's eligibility for female competition will be suspended for 12 months. That is known in the USTA's official policy manuals as the transgender inclusion policy. Now, in league and recreational competition, where you go down to your tennis club and you get in a tournament, on the league and recreational side of the equation, the USTA takes the position that they do not require confirmations of gender identity status. So you old-timers watching the show here want to go down and play and transition and cheat and jump and want It don't matter. They don't want you to be... They don't want to set up any obstacles to recreational participation 
in amateur competition. They take the player's word that they are competing. This is interesting language. In a manner in which they are comfortable. You know, comfortable has become a big word. Well, I'm not comfortable around Joe. I'm not comfortable around, expand this all into what we got now. I'm not comfortable around a Palestinian. I'm not comfortable around a Jew. I'm not comfortable around a Caucasian. This has become a big word. So keep it in mind, it's crept into tennis. Now, Martina Navratilova, who's a lesbian, but a woman, and by the way, I know the backstory on this, who was coached into shape by Renee Richards. Renee Richards had been a male. This is going back in the 70s. And he had all the equipment changed and became a female and actually went out and played on the pro tennis circuit as a female, but got beat. But was a very smart guy. Well, here I go. I don't know what word to use. Very smart person whom I knew pretty well because she worked out at a club where I worked out. We got to be kind of friends. She was responsible for changing Martina into a kind of chubby little girl to a hard, lean professional athlete. So Martina has a kind of interesting rapport with this. But she slams the USTA for the inclusion of transgenders. Her quote is, women's tennis is not for failed male athletes. And she has become the loudest advocate of keeping male to females out of women's sports. She's in a heated conversation on X about this. She has called out the United States Tennis Association, which is the USTA, for their transgender inclusion policy. She fights for keeping people born as males out of women's restrooms. Now, I ran the club that Renee worked out at. I can't tell you how many women tennis players came to me and asked me if there was a way to keep Renee Richards out of their locker room. I knew of none. I knew of none. 
They all felt very uncomfortable around her. A nice enough person, by the way. Very nice person. But making the women uneasy. Very uneasy. So Martina has said strongly that women's tennis is not for failed male athletes, whatever age. She says it's not right and it's not fair. As I say, having been coached into shape by one who completely went through the equipment, male equipment change. So keep your eye on this. It's a pretty interesting battle. Martina's got a lot of clout. And, you know, you've got women who are lesbians all over the place in the sport, but they're not ever have been men. So Martina doesn't want to have happen to tennis, that which has happened to some other sports. Um, I don't know what to take. I, I won't say I know Martina, but I've been around Martina some. Um, nice lady, but very competitive, as you know. I've been around those people, Serena Williams, um, Martina, um, Steffi Graf. So it's not something that I, I'm not familiar with. One last story before we take a break. Skis, skiing. Anytime you see, this is my opinion, well, not really my opinion, economically supported. Anytime you see a man and his wife two or three kids skiing at a place like Deer Valley. You're looking at multimillionaires. The lift ticket at Park City, Vail, Beaver Creek, during the peak part of the season, cost you 200 $99 a person for one day. Now, the only way around this is to live in the state and take advantage of discount packages. But if you come from out of state, you can't do that. That's very hard to do. You can get packages. But you know, how long can you ski during the day? When I was in my peak kind of shape, younger man, six hours, maybe six hours. Couldn't do that now. Couldn't even stay on the board now. Couldn't stay on the skis. 
So there are pass options. There are blackout dates. But get ready for the ever-increasing cost of going, the thrill of going down a mountain on two little sticks. Um, it's amazing. Once upon a time, you could pay less than $100 a day. So it's almost triple. You want to know where inflation is? Even for the wealthy. Start taking your wife and a couple of kids out there. Buying passes for them all day. Even though you might get a 13 and under. A bit of a break. And you can shop around and find perhaps lower tier products. But it ain't easy and it's getting more difficult. Mountains, same mountain. The skis have improved tremendously. The lifts are probably faster. Getting you up the mountain. And the snow is always problematic depending upon the luck of the draw on the weather. That's my Coach Hall blocker room for today. Obviously, I don't go at some of the sports that sports go after. I covered for you ladies basketball, Gator football, high school football, inclusion. Even managed to work that in. We'll be right back with Ward's Weather. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. Thursday, November the 16th, come celebrate the release of our Spurrier's Gridiron Grill, Lugo's Risky Rum. This exclusive release features a special spread of our farm-to-table food, rum cocktails, raffles, and a meet and greet with me. Each ticket includes a bottle of Spurrier Single Barrel Select Risky Run. And I'll sign the bottle if you'd like. So get your ticket before they sell out at Spurriers.com. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, 
you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Oh, warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Right, Ward's Weather Report here brought to you by Lewis Oil, Chevron Station's fossil fuel. Well, we've got a nippy air thing right here, 55 and up to about maybe 70-some today, and that's it. And according to the, the weather apps I'm looking at, we are in for a pretty chilly, maybe even record-setting temperature plunge. Um, the cold air has... Follow the jet stream down, and it's come uh, into Florida, and it's going to cover everywhere, all over the south. We'll have cooler temperatures. It's reading it now. The change will be most stark across Florida, where a record warm air mass will be replaced by a record cool one especially in the southern part of the peninsula and the Keys. There you go. There you go. <laughs> By the way, on the issue of whether men or women or all that business, um, the men who identify as women according to the Federalist, are now eligible for membership in the Daughters of the American Revolution. The uh, National Society Daughters of the American Revolution will allow men who identify as women to join the organization. Uh, They have changed their bylaws to do that so that any woman 18 years or older, regardless of race, religion, or ethnic background who can prove lineal descent from a patriot of the American Revolution is eligible to join. So the Daughters of the American Revolution now joins a growing list of woman-only organizations to capitulate on the meaning of womanhood so that
the male to female transgender individuals will be personally acceptable. The bylaws have been changed to reflect that. And uh, a lot of people are not happy about that. It is even becoming normal to house men in women's prisoner facilities and sorority houses. Wow. And to welcome them in female sports leagues, but not, as I said, in the pro tennis world. This is considered to be, of course, by many, a slippery slope. And Dylan Mulvaney has been declared the woman of the year by a British magazine that champions, quote-unquote, queer ideology. There you go. Queer ideology demands that the government remove any legal and civic barriers, including words that hinder almost any expression of individual and sexual autonomy. Huh? Huh? Those are the issues that we're dealing with. A lot of people point out in this country. While the Middle East rages over, you know what, big war. At Stanford, this comes out of Newsbreak, Stanford has suspended a lecturer accused of making his Jewish students stand in a corner and calling Israelis colonizers. Colonizers is now a dirty word. If you're a colonizer, you just took and didn't give. When actually, it didn't work that way. I'm not going to get into a detailed documented support of it. I'm just going to tell you what I've learned from all those courses I took when I wanted to learn something at the university. Wherever the British went, and you can take a look at this in the Caribbean. You can take a look at this in China. You can take a look at this in India. They brought solid institutions. And most of the time, in these places they quote-unquote colonized, they partnered with the indigenous people. Okay? And each group profited from each other in the partnership. If you want to take a look and test this, look at the governments in the Caribbean. Look at Bermuda. 
Look at the United States even. Our institutions come from experiences hammered out in Britain. On the other hand, if the Spanish colonized, it took me a long time to understand this. They exploited and left nothing in return. They took far more than they ever gave. The way I understood this, finally came to understand this, was a number number of things that made me understand. At one point when I was in the classroom, this is back in the early 80s, and as I've shared with you before, we always knew where the turmoil in the world was because the best students from those areas showed up in our classrooms because they came from the best families and the best families got them out of, say, Lebanon, got them out of wherever something was going down. There came a time in the early 80s when there were a bunch of students show up in my class from El Salvador, Sandinista country. And they were all smart, civilized. And having them in class was every bit as beneficial to me as I hope I was to them. And I asked them, why did the Sandinista kill those nuns? Go back and you remember the nuns were killed by the communist revolutionaries. These young people told me it was because they represented a Catholic church and the Catholic church created a two-tiered society. The landowners, like these boys and girls of families, of plantation, coffee plantations, said they came from the privileged part of society. And what they said was most essential for stability in a government or a society. And they taught me this was a middle class. I got to thinking about that. You see, in El Salvador and wherever the Spanish went, there was no middle class. Set up. There were the poor and then there were the wealthy Spanish. No middle class. My point here is you can't paint the word colonization with a broad brush. It doesn't work. In logic, it's a fallacy, oversimplification. I learned, I thought I've done a lot of thinking about that. <clears throat> Why does a middle class give a society stability? 
Well, middle class pays the bills. Middle class goes to work. Middle class supports the schools. The British had a relationship with the people they came and got involved with that they left as much as they took. It was a win-win. You can evaluate what I'm saying. Check it out. See if it makes sense. If it doesn't, come to your own conclusion. The Spanish didn't. The French didn't. Look at Haiti. It's hopeless. There's no model there for them to guide themselves by. And we probably are busy corrupting the model we were left. This wonderful political structure that has senators and Congress people and multi-levels of it has been corrupted. Horrible situation. So at Stanford, you'd think we'd have some smart people there. We got Victor Davis Hanson, Thomas Sowell. But this guy is a Stanford University lecturer who may suspend it at Stanford after the students complained to the administration. And what did he do? Let's see if I can get to what he did. This is a news break. He lectured on the evil nature of colonialism. He said that the reason the Palestinians were in the situation they were in was because of colonizers. And he called on his students. He separated them into two different groups based upon their personal identities and backgrounds and called them in the classroom, colonizers and colonized. He presented, of course, the argument that the blame for and the excusing of the personal behavior or group behavior or the tribal behavior of the Palestinians and Hamas was due to their coming out on the short stick of colonization. European. And that the reason the Jews were on the better side of this was that they'd been favored by colonization. And that therefore, the outbreak of violence by Hamas 
was entirely justified. Well, Stanford said, we better take a look at this and see if it's been taught adequately. It's kind of interesting. And I'm all mindful now, correct me if I'm wrong, of the parallels between this and some of the black-white arguments we have here going on in this country, which are quite often mischaracterized. Locally, even, I ran across this story, and it made me think of Gainesville. The Gainesville Police Department has no canine. You realize that. There's no canine outfit. It's loaned to them by ASO, which was all arranged by Clovis Watson, Jr. In Israel, the canine unit has been performing heroic things on behalf of finding Hamas terrorists, civilians, Young people, the canines sniff out the Hamas leaders, attack them. They are part of the military units that are going into terrorist enclaves to neutralize them especially trained for missions in the field of county counterterrorism, search and rescue. I got to thinking about that. Canines are bad, bad things here in Gainesville. Gainesville City, no wonder the morale of the Gainesville City Police is down. Huh? You know that 49,000 migrants have been apprehended in 28 days just in one Arizona border sector. Tucson sector border patrol agents apprehended more than 49,000 migrants who illegally crossed the border from Mexico into Arizona during the past 28 days. This is from the Border Patrol report. This is the fourth consecutive week where just Tucson sector agents have made more than 11,000 arrests during a single week. Official numbers for September on the year in report will probably be released late in this month. Now, my point is the same point you have. Who are they? What are they doing here? 
Are they connected? We know the importance of borders. Look at the border dispute right now in Gaza. We have no idea. And we're just talking about one border, one part of it, in Tucson, Arizona. A lot of uh, choppy water ahead. We'll try to keep you up on it as much as we can. A couple of days we should have Ted Yoho back with us, get his interpretation, his look at it. But these are not settled times at all, as you know. And yet we've got things going on like who can be in whose locker room. I, I just have to scratch my head. You know, what What are we doing? Who, who are we kidding? Is this all going to blow up? We certainly hope not. Thanks for listening. I wish I had better news. Coach Coach Hall locker room is always fun. But even there, USTA and tennis and who can play. Have a great day. Ward Hall Command Center out.